the Parachair Podcast. Welcome to Setball, the one and only podcast about all things Parachair football. My name's Siobhan Stevenson and I'm here with my mate Dave Lewis. All right, Dave? Hello there. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm all right. Thank you. Are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. It's been a long week. Pleased to reach Friday afternoon. Sun's out, so it be nice to get some sun on our backs after this. Sun's out, guns out, eh? Don't know Going to be out in your back garden with you, flexing your muscles. Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> Do you want to introduce our guests this certainly, week? Certainly, certainly. Um, this is the fourth show. We've had all male guests so far, but today we're stopping that trend and we've got two females, two very famous females in uh, powerchair football in England. Uh, we have first player, uh, welfare officer for WFA, um, amongst the other roles, Kath McNichol. Welcome, Kath. And Hi, secondly, we have Middlesbrough coach and officially qualified organs blazing referee, Karen Bean. Hello. Hello, girls. Sorry, I shouldn't say girls, ladies. Oh, girls is fine. Yeah, girls is fine. I know, it's because you're the same age as me. It's like, all right, girls. I'm 21, yeah? Yes, yes. Obviously, I turned 25 last week, but I know you're a little bit younger than me. So we're all right. Okay, so I'm really excited about today because obviously up to this point, I've been outnumbered. So, as you probably know, or maybe you haven't heard the others yet, but I'm a complete novice. I know very little about powerchair football. All I know is what I've seen when I've been to see Dave play, because we're all friends. So, um, And I, I do know bits about the game that I've learned over the last three episodes, um, but I might ask stupid questions um, so if I do, as you know, I'll jump in with me whistle. Otherwise, I'm just going to leave it to Dave. Cool. Okay, then let's crack on then. Um, as we have done with others, we've got the same sort of questions, which will, you know, vary a little bit. But first of all, then, ladies, just to set the scene, um, just to set the scene then, um, question number one, tell us about yourselves and your role within your club and the sport in a wider context. Do you want to go first, Cass? Go on then. I'm Carolyn Bean. I am the manager and head coach at Middlesbrough Powerchair Football. I'm a qualified international fit for referee and I'm also a um, qualified uh, classifier as well. I'm a player for Middlesbrough Powerchair Football Club um, and before that Northern Thunder um, and I coach quite a lot of teams in Barra as well um, and I'm a welfare officer for the WFA. Thank you for that. So you've got a wide amount of experiences. I heard a very faint whistle there. It wasn't exactly a, a massive <laughs> blow on the whistle, but go on, Siobhan. <laughs> right, I'm jumping in straight away uh, because I want to ask about your role, Kath, as welfare officer at the WFA. Can you explain a bit about what you do in that role? Well, because we're um, an organisation that is a little bit unique football-wise because we have players of all ages playing on the same team so children and adults it's a requirement that all football clubs have a welfare officer and that's really to make sure that we put the safeguarding of our players first and foremost so that it's on every agenda for every meeting and everything we do we look back and relate to how does that affect the welfare of our players 
is that quite a new role or is that has that always been part of the wfi it's recently new it's about is it about three years old two years probably it's it's probably two or three years old since you've been working with the fi more they've and they've kind of advised and guided us on the roles we should have and especially what's happened within mainstream football within the last sort of two, three, four years. We don't want to go into details now, but I think that has sort of heightened the need for welfare officers across across all clubs and also leagues as well. You know, so we're just trying to mirror what the mainstream game do really. I think I think before the um, the FA, we were having to sort of fit ourselves into one of their boxes. And so before we were running our, our clubs as open age which is adults because that's the only place we really fitted and the FA have realized that actually we don't really fit them we do have children playing so we do have a need for um safeguarding and actually we have a need for adult safeguarding as well because we have um a large number of vulnerable players um so therefore I think it's really important that we do have a welfare officer and I think we were already we were already doing a lot of the stuff that, that there was nobody that was given that title and had that responsibility to look over, oversee it, I think. You know, just to educate Siobhan a little bit, you know, we are a fairly unique form of football. You know, um, you know, we're small-sided, we're open-age, so we've got players as young as seven going right through to in their 50s, maybe even older than that. I'm thinking, you know, it, um, and there's a player at your club, ladies. We had Johnny played for us, he was uh, seven. John's, um, we've also got dispensation for males and females to also play against each other. So we have to apply for that dispensation for open age and also for mixed gender. Um, right. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Okay then. So thanks ladies for that. That's, that's a good that's a good scene setter. Okay then. So if you cast your minds back then, how um how did you both get involved in the sport then? Do you want to take this one? Well Cassie's mum, um Margaret Jones, she was the chairman of our local MD group, so Teesside Muscle District Group and Karen and I um, started running the, the youth section, didn't we? Um, when I say youth, it was lo- loosely youth because it was up to 30-year-olds. And um, we'd, we'd been doing some fun activities and we'd been and done some paintballing, well, not paintballing, um, laser battlefields, which is like paintballing but without the pain. We'd had a good afternoon running around an old castle shooting people. And so I was tasked with the job of finding something else that was equally as exciting to do because they'd adapted it really well, strapped the guns to our chairs and everything. Um, and I stumbled across a article on the internet for Powerchair Football up in Newcastle at Percy Headley Foundation. So okay. I got this is going back about 14 years, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 14 years. Wow. So um, I got in touch with them and said, can we come and have a go? And I went and had a go and I was hooked. <laughs> but they're an hour away. <laughs> they're an hour away. So, um, yeah, I played for them for a number of years. And then we decided that we needed one down here in Middlesbrough. And so we asked a few other people that live in the area. We got together and set up the club in Middlesbrough. See, so look in 2006, then, aren't you really? Because WFI was formed in 2005. So you're looking at not much longer after that, really, aren't you? So, yeah, I was, it was the second season that I played. Um, do you want to tell me about how you got involved in refereeing? When we set the club up in Middlesbrough um, back in 2011, um, one of the um, rules for joining the National League was that every club had to provide a referee. Oh, okay. Um, and at the time, there wasn't. Um, a referee course so one of our friends who was a referee came down and, and helped us out and then um a couple of us from Middlesbrough did the course because we had to <laughs> we should look at bringing that rule back in I guess <laughs> I, mean, no, I honestly think so <laughs> yeah I think Siobhan just blew a whistle 
It's not working very well today, the whistle. Not working. (laughs) I should have a proper whistle, really, shouldn't I? Today, just for today. Um, It was just a a question, really, going back to what you were saying about referees. When you went to become a referee and do the training, how many women were there? Uh, At the time, only me. And there's still in England at the moment. There's still only me. There's been a couple have been and gone. Yeah. Um, internationally, the what about your daughter? Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> really? Don't well, tell me that. We're not cutting that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> I won't let I won't let her listen to it. Um, yeah, the Millie. Yeah, Millie did her course when she was sixteen. When she was allowed to, because she's been involved in the sports since she was four, and she's eighteen now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the internationals, there were there was only me. I didn't have a changing room. I had to just go and find a toilet. There was a male changing room for the referees, but not one for me. And has that changed? Like, I know you're saying there's still only you, but you did sort of say some have come and gone. So what percentage of women usually are are referees compared to men? I honestly think at the moment there's only me and Millie. Um, There was one up at Northern Thunder who didn't like refereeing though. And there was one at Brighton who doesn't work for Brighton anymore. Uh, the last two lady referees to stop refereeing because they've had little babies. Ah, uh, yeah. So that was... Four um, referees. Becky, Becky yeah. and um, Kat were the last two females, but they, in yeah. the last 12 months, both had babies. So they've obviously stopped refereeing now. Just in general, across the sport, how do you think numbers of women compare to men? Because I know you've done, like, Kath, I think you've been involved in or maybe both of you, I might have this wrong, football festivals for women. Can yeah, you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, it was, I was so excited about that happening, actually. And um, we were lucky enough that it, the first one fell on um, a weekend when my team weren't playing. They had a break from the regionals. And so the rest of our club took all our other teams down to the regional. Actually, Dave went to that regional, I think. Um, yeah, in the northeast, And we went to the southern female festival so I signed up for both the southern one and the northern one I love football I wanted to do all of them um, <laughs> but unfortunately because of the situation we're in with COVID-19 the northern one got cancelled so I was really glad or postponed so I was really pleased that we actually went along to the southern one it was a brilliant day it, it was, was really, really good. good yeah really, really good, good fun um, and it was a real different feel as well it's hard to explain it to probably people that weren't actually there there was a different feel to it because it was it was literally all women there was, there was Adam was there, McAvoy, our national development manager, and John Bolding, the England captain. All the coaches, all the referees, all the players were all women. I'm sure there's lots of people that don't realise actually that power chair football has always been a bit more inclusive. I suppose it's about culture, isn't it? It's not really about um, the fact because we, women have always been able to be involved in power chair football, but the culture of football for women and girls is only just starting to be highlighted now. And when you were, you were at school... I'd, I've never played football. Cause I, was, I played hockey, which I think is very similar to power chair football. Mm. Girls didn't play when we were at school, no. did they? I'm saying you, because when I was at school, people that were disabled didn't play sport or something. <laughs> so true. I didn't have an opportunity to do anything. That is really. true. That yeah. is true. Um, and I think, you know, if I can give you a geeky stat, I think, we have, I think we've got 14% of our players registered a female, which is higher than... Yeah, 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 one, four, 14. But that's higher than the average across Europe, which is kind of, you know, hovering like 11, 12%. 
in France and Switzerland, places like that, Ireland. Um, so you know, we are just slightly above the average, but you know, like you say, you're the only female referee alongside your daughter. So, one of the interesting things when I looked at the female players at National League, it's amazing how many of that 14% actually play in goal. Okay, I haven't noticed yeah. that. I think there's quite a few in the Championship as well, as opposed to the Premiership. Yeah, um, I don't know whether it's to, oh, nobody wants to play in goal, so the, the females of the team go, oh, well, I'll go there then. Yeah, I think we've had this um, conversation before, or I've had this conversation before, um, with other people about terminology. And I think I heard you say something yeah. about that at some point, um, Carolyn, yeah. but it was one of you. It was, I think it was me, because I think, for me, um, I think we really need to be aware of what we say and what, that me- what message that gives to girls and women in power chair football. So um, it's really easy, particularly if you've got a team that are all boys, which doesn't have to be the case, but in some cases it has just felt like that because obviously it's only 14% of the population, the power chair football population are women. Um, because of that we need to be careful about what we say. So if, we, if we're talking about the lads or the boys, yeah. um, if they are a boys or a lads team, we need to be aware that then people are thinking, oh, is it for me? You know, is, that, is it possible for girls to play? But it, it might be subconscious, but I think that's, what, that's the effect it can have, that we really need to be careful about what terminology we use. Mm. I do think it's important because it can, even the strongest of women... You know, in my experience, um, it takes two things really to to welcome somebody into an environment and and give them, um, encourage them to kind of stick with it. It has to be a sort of inclusive environment where they feel comfortable, even if they make a mistake. But they need to see role models as well. And I think like every one of these we've done so far, whenever I've mentioned a question like whenever anything's come up about women, both of you have been mentioned. So, you know, it's clear that within the game, you are viewed as really important figures in the game um, because you've both got history with the game. You know, you're both um, strong women with who have continued in the game. So I think it's important as well to have clear role models. How do you feel about being role models? I think it's just, just because we're both competitive, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> About everything. I've got a little bit of a reputation for being quite loud. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, as much as I can be. Mm. I love a good roller coaster if it's not one that throws you around too much. Um, so, yeah, I think it's yeah, it's probably about our competitive and yeah. thrill-seeking natures. Absolutely. I think it's good for, for young girls that are coming through to have the role models there. Mainly, I think, so they can see that actually we can, it doesn't matter, we've got a disability. Mm. Yeah, and I think with, with regards to um, only the, there only being 14%, it limits the pool of players that you've got. So there needs to be more women playing so that you've got a bigger pool of players so that the chances of those women getting selected for teams that are in the National League or even our national team are bigger because at the moment there's only a pool of 14%. We'll yeah. come on to the national team. I want to ask a question, Rob, but just um, just to highlight that one of the teams in the National League, Cheltenham, do have more female players than males. So I, 
you know, so, um, you know, myself and Brad did a coaching at Tottenham. We, you know, can actually, like, you know, put a team of females on, which I did want to do before the end of the season. But obviously, it was cut short because of COVID-19. But we, we were going to do that to say, this is the first all-female power chair yeah. football team. That would have been really cool to play us. That would have been cool. It would have been we, had three, we had three girls this season. Yeah, we were so. looking yeah, yeah. We could have done an all-female really match, you know what I mean? Yeah. It would have been, would have been quite good. Yeah, okay. Well, but obviously, you know, hopefully we can get back to it soon. We'll come on to what you've been doing on lockdown later on. I just wanted to go back, just, you know, you know, sort of turn the clock back a little bit, Kathy, right? because you were part of Northern Thunder before you joined Middlesbrough. So um, um, so can you tell us what does it make um, um, to make a winning uh, power chair football team, if you know what I mean? Because when you're at Thunder, you won a few league titles, you're very successful, and then, and then you're taking that on to Middlesbrough. Well, I suppose you really probably should be talking to my coach, but because um, <laughs> um, I just did as I was told. Um, but I played, a di- I did play a very different role in Thunder. So I played um, up high, popping mm. in those goals. Um, and I had a really good team behind me. So we had a very experienced goalie we, and I had a great um, playmaker in Ed Common, combined with Harry Body. The two of them together, I mean, they were forced to be reckoned with, weren't they? Yeah, um, still are, I, in many ways. I'm not saying that it, they could have done it without me, probably could have done it without me, to be honest. Um, but it, I sort of found my own space, so I, <laughs> I learned how to create space, to be in the right place at the right time, when to shoot, when to pass back. So those sort of things I learned quite quickly. And actually, um, it happened at about the time that classification um, became used in our National League. But I think it... It probably is about knowing your role and knowing other people's roles. And we did a lot of skill work. We did a hell of a lot of just plain old skill work and also playing the game. Um, but my role at Middlesbrough is a lot different. Um, and, I'm re- and I'm learning now what Ed was actually doing. He's, he's an amazing player. <laughs> um, um, just a little another stat for you. I think you still hold the record for the most goals in the season with 50. You may be joined with Harry Bradley, but you, you, you are definitely up there. With the most goals in the season in the National League. I know it was 48 league goals. So I believe that two of those are um, cup goals, but okay, I'm okay. sure it's 48 league goals. Yeah, it's so around remember, that much. Yeah, I remember um, Steve Kelly joking around me saying that he would have bought me a real trophy if it was 50 goals. <laughs> <laughs> right then, I think it's time for 2v1. 2v1! We've got some questions to fire at you. It's first 2-3, so it's the best of five. Um... General knowledge, power chair questions. Some you'll be given a time limit, some you won't. Um, if you get it right, you get the point. If you get it wrong, I get the point. I have a feeling you might win 3 0. <laughs> you need to tell me um, how long you want on the clock. First one, we won't have any time. It's just two names. I think they'll get them very easily because they're okay. intelligent ladies who know a lot about power chair football. Ladies, ready? Which two players hold the record? For the most yellow cards in the National League? Dave Lewis. Absolutely. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said that then, it's like... <laughs> is, is the other one Amy? Is the other one Amy? She gets a lot. She gets a lot. She does get a lot. I think, um, what about Rob Thompson? Oh, yeah. Rob yeah, Thompson. Thompson. <laughs> You're right, yeah. It's me, me and Rob. Dave Lewis and Rob Thompson. Wharton's got form, though. Wharton's got form. Yeah, absolutely. Right, but I only get to the red cards. I've never been red cards. Oh, that's good. You know what I mean? Never been, no, no. Oh, I have to remember that, Dave. 
No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't simping David, despite people saying I would be. I Poor Amy, I think it's hilarious that like Amy's the one that's got the red <laughs> cards and you haven't, and Amy's the one that's seen as bad tempered and you're not. That's I'm hilarious. Just gen- I'm just a gentle little man. <laughs> that. Interestingly, Dave, I got my first yellow card when I moved away from Thunder to Middlesbrough. I'd never had one before then. I was so, thinking I was going to be a Gary Lineker. <laughs> right then, so that's one nil to you. Um, I thought you were going to say Amy then I would have got the point but no you got it right so well done okay second question Siobhan can you put 15 15 seconds okay hold on 15 Ladies, seconds I'll set question. the timer as soon as you finish the question yeah. okay thank you right ladies four power chair clubs in England beginning with the letter M for mother Middlesbrough Manchester United Five, four, yeah. three, two, two one. one. Well, time's up. You've, you've not done it. We wanted four. You only named three. Man City stars. Ah, oh, oh, yeah. Ah, oh, one, one. I'm surprised at that. Well done. Point yeah. to me. Right, ready for the third one? Give you 30 yeah. seconds for this because you've got, got 10 seconds. answers to provide. Okay. Okay, 10 answers. No trick questions here. Name 10 players that have scored 100 or more goals in the National League since it started. Cass McNichol, Ed Common, Harry Boddy, Johnny Balding, Rob Luke. Thompson? Yes. Louis Hammonds? Yes. Six. Chris Gordon? Seven, yeah. Seb Finch? No, not seven. Sam Smith? Yes, eight. Dave Lewis? Five, no. four, three, Wharton, two, Patrick two, Kelly. one. No. Time's up. No, you got eight. Um, I don't really... Oh, Charlie Kitcher you could have had. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Daniel Kahn. Daniel Kahn. Oh, yeah. Jordan Williams. Rosie. Oh, well. Right, no, you didn't get that. So it's two on to me. Okay. Two one to me. Well done, ladies. I'm shocked you didn't get that. I'm really pleased. I'm shocked I'm winning. Okay, last, well, potentially last question, but we'll have to get another one out if you get this point. All right, think back. The FA took over the running of the England team in 2013, okay? So that's seven years now. Fitzgerald, 30 seconds again on the clock. Yep. Name 10 players that have played a competitive game for England since the FA took over in 2013. I think it equates to two tournaments. Yeah, no, three, including the World Cup. Yeah, World Cup. Including the World Cup. So 10 players, go. 30 seconds. Dan Kay, Charlie Kitcher, Dave Lewis, Matt Francis, Greg Baxter, Brad Bates, Chris Gordon, (laughs) Johnny Balding, Ed Common, Harry Boddy. Yeah, you've done it. Yeah, well done. Wow. Two, two. Well done. All I can say is wow. Um, right, last question. 30 seconds again on the clock. Okay. Just let me Google this. I've got to Google something here. <laughs> <laughs> this is up your street. I think you'll get I think you'll get this because it, this is one I made up last week. Right. 30 seconds again, Siobhan. Yep. You need three answers, okay? Mm-hmm. On the Scottish Parachair Football Association website, it lists 10 different teams, okay? 
Can you name three of them? K-Side Dynamos. Clyde. Oh, Alba. Alba. Yes. Dundee. No, that's no. Not Dundee's not there. Clyde. Lothian. Lothian what? You can just keep keep guessing names if there's others to be Five bad. Claymores. Say that again. Five. Five Claymores. Four. Glasgow Rangers, Glasgow Gladiators. Yes, Glasgow Gladiators. Oh, just on the bell, Kaz. Just on the bell. You've won three, two. You could have had Clyde Albert, Clyde Caledonian, Glasgow Gladiators, Ayrshire Tigers, Lothian Wolves, Ayrshire Tigers, Championship, Taser Dynamos, Blue and Yellow, Riverside FC. Those are the Scottish clubs. Cool, well done. You've won three, two. Well done. That was end-to-end action. Come back, kids. Absolutely. Come back, kids. Well done. Okay. I love Pouchet football because it gives me the opportunity to travel and a buzz to play the sport competitively. I love Pouchet football because it makes me feel free and I love working as part of the team and scoring goals. I love Pouchet football because um, being part of, you know, a rising sport, the way the sport is played is different every time. So a different approach towards each game, tactically. Um, There's... Some skills as well that you can get from it, like communicating together as a team. Uh, and also you can build some good friendships as well. I love PowerShare football because it's one of the only sports that I can actually play and be really competitive in. I'm a person I really like to be competitive, really get stuck in. And because of my condition, this is basically the only sport and the best sport that I can do that. So yeah, I just got to love playing it. Welcome back to the second half. Uh, Dave's just been thrashed in the first half by Cass and Cass. I wouldn't say three twos are thrashing. <laughs> you just had to hope you got it wrong. You didn't have to do anything. True, very okay. true. That's the idea of the whole thing. <laughs> We're fairly okay. limited what we can do in lockdown. But, you know, yeah, basically I'm just, just hoping you get them wrong. You know, so <laughs> there's no skin involved, am I? Apart from making the questions. <laughs> Okay, next question. Let's have a look then. We realise then, um, you know, season was cut short, football activity for Parachair stopped in March. We had to cancel um, one of our National League weekends. Um, it, um, um, so how was your season before that, before we, we stopped playing? And also, can you tell us a bit about what you've been doing during lockdown? Because I understand you've been painting garden gnomes and doing a lot of activities. I think this season, at the start of the season, because... We had quite um, a young team. Um, there's a couple of experienced players, but a lot of our team are quite young. So we were using this this season to rebuild, rebuild, relearn, and learn new things. The new ones, particularly some of our players, played different positions. Um, and and actually, we were just starting to to get together. They were starting to get to know each other. Um, starting to get the the results um, just before lockdown. So I'm really hoping that when we come back that they'll still remember all we practice. But during lockdown, we've been um, we've been watching raves of, of old games. So if they don't know how to play after lockdown, I don't know when they will. That is true. We've watched a fair. lot of games while we've been off. We watch them all together as well, which is really good fun. Gives me a chance to get a bit of coaching in as well. Yeah, we've, and we've been lucky enough to have John Bolding join us for one of the sessions as well and talk us through how the um, England setup works and how they play. And we watched a game with him so we could see it in, in action. It was really good, wasn't it? Really good fun, yeah. yeah. Then we've also, um, on a, a different night, we've been doing a weekly quiz 
and then getting together on a, a video call afterwards and we've we did initially we did things like um, borough bake-off where we all baked and showed what we baked each week and um, we did the loo roll challenge video which was great fun to do and uh, we did the baked potato song as well that video do you want to give us a little run a little rendition of the baked potato song Why, thank you baked potato <laughs> you'll be singing it for weeks now <laughs> I love that. I have a, I have heard that before, and that doesn't make me chuckle. <laughs> um, what we've seen is a lot of teams have like been doing stuff in lockdown, quizzes, watching videos online, engaging with England players. But then, but then there are some teams who have done absolutely nothing. So I think it does depend on your club and you know the kind of group of people you've got. Um, you know, so certainly there has been a lot of online meetings, but also some have been fairly left to their own devices. So yeah, I think um, I would. Our clubs re- really value all the players and the families really value yeah. our our family feel and we are just one big family so it's been really important for us to actually stay in touch with everybody and as um, the social distancing and uh, lockdown uh, things uh, reducing um, next month we're going to start and visit our players in their gardens and, yeah. and just see them and just to touch base with them again. Yeah. At two metres. At two metres obviously. I've actually just started doing that because I work for the Albion Foundation. That's what we've just started doing. Like the ones who aren't very good on Zoom, who don't want to come on Zoom, we're actually getting out to the houses. I went, I went to two yesterday and sat in the garden. So, you know, it's nice to see people and get out there. People, first thing they say is they're missing power chair football. Absolutely. That we are. I take pride in seeing how many people I can get to retweet. We had Matt Lucas retweet us, by the way, for the baked potato song. You did, you did. Oh, we, we should have a competition, most famous uh, celebrity retweet or something during that. Yeah, yeah. Was that, yeah. That was, I think there was a whistle. I think there was a whistle. It's like there was of, a whistle. It's like the Sanchez whistle and I'm still playing on. Um, <laughs> I, I just wanted to ask a question going back a little bit um, to this idea of um, going and visiting people. I live in a shielding household as well because my husband's um, clusters in a vulnerable category and um, he's apprehensive to go out now that shielding's pausing and, and everything. You know, it's a bit of a struggle because I think for people who have been com- completely shielded, it's quite a hard thing to step over the front door and, and push yourself and force yourself to get out. And it was just, you know, I wondered what you sort of... Um, like how many people have been engaging with you on Zoom and stuff like that? And then how many of those still want you to come and visit them in their garden? It varies, doesn't it? We, we think, oh, it's calming down a little bit and we might only have a few people join the quiz. And we, we try to make ourselves available for Zoom. And then we think, oh, we might, this might st- start stopping soon because it's, it's, there's not many people turning up. And then the next week, there'll be like five or six we haven't seen for a few, what, few weeks. Yeah. So I think it's about being available. So we see it as we would be using that time. We've already committed to volunteering that time every week when we were doing training anyway. So just yeah. by being available on Zoom, that's not really a hardship. Um, and so I think that's about being available, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think a couple of our players um, struggle with the technology of, of getting on Zoom. So they will be certain yeah. ones first. There's another couple of players that we know that are struggling, like you say, being being isolated at home and and interact so they'll they'll also be ones that we might just pop in as we pass because they're a bit apprehensive to going on also i think there's there's some as well that don't want to join in the group zoom because they're reminded of what they're missing so yeah i think there's an element to that as well 
the reason element though is that I think you know if you do like you know a Zoom call like during when you should have training, then it keeps that routine as well because people are falling out of the routine. And and I think if you have that regular contact in the diary every week, like I do with Cheltenham, like Sunday afternoon two o'clock. But last few weeks people have been venturing out more with the family, so we've had to move it. But I think having that routine definitely helps having that set thing to focus on. Doing the Tuesday and Thursday nights, just like we would, yeah. we would normally. Yeah, that's why we stuck with it. No, I think that works really well for um, you know for a lot of people really just to have that focus, something to focus on, engage with every week because that's you know. There are some people very limited engagement with other people. So, um, exactly. I went to see a player yesterday who was a very experienced character player. You know, if I said his name, you'd know him. But, you know, he's totally on his own, really. He has people popping in a few times a day. But, you know, hours and hours and hours on his own. You know, but he seemed fairly happy, to be honest. But <laughs> just felt a little bit sorry when I came away, you know. Yeah. And I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. Do you know what I mean? It was, um, yeah, you know, he's probably happy in his own company. Yeah, yeah people- I think he is. He is. I think for some people who who maybe have just been at home for all that time, it's quite overwhelming to then go out and see a lot more people on the streets and, you know, everything seems a little bit overwhelming, I think. Yeah, if that's the case for us, we've not left the house. We've had online deliveries, etc. But I think that it's been a lot easier by the fact that we've had nice weather mostly. Yeah, so Right then, we are coming towards the end. So just a couple more questions. We've got one more before we do the final challenge. Um, you know, and asking you to lad, you're very experienced, you know, you know, people involved in the sport more than 14 years. Um, so what are the biggest changes you have seen to the sport over the years? The game's been changing mainly because of the equipment, but also in what you're able to do in the game. It's the speed of the game where it's changed, isn't it? Yeah. We're not using every... You can't get away with using an everyday chair now and having a metal bumper attached to it that's probably hanging off or taped on with them gaffer tape. You can't get away with that. You can't even get away with having a, a chair that goes at the right speed that you've adapted to use for the game. You've really got to have a chair that's been designed for the game and the, the game is that quick. How do you manage running from one end to the other as a referee, Kaz? It's that quick. It really fits. That's what it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do think that's what one of the changes with refereeing is quite often during the games you're running from one end to the other um because yeah. it is so so quick you don't seem to get nowadays you don't get like 33 nil score lines either no um, i think those have gone you get nines maybe nine pushing to yeah. 10 but, but the double figures have generally gone these days it's much more like football scores now aren't they yeah and there's far more games because of because of the chairs the last few years where both teams score whereas you had so many games where it would be you know you know something nil Three nil, two nil, but you get you know more than half the games now both teams score, which I think you know you know just helps overall quality, helps bring those teams at the bottom further to the top. And if you look at the goal differences over the last few years, the numbers at the top are going down, and the goal differences at the at the bottom are getting smaller, so they're not yeah. so you know, you yeah, know, you know minus ninety four you don't really see anymore and stuff like that. So. It makes it really really fun to watch as well. I think. The, the speed of it now and like you say the goals the amount of goals scored it's it's great to watch I could watch it all day I could always watch it all day but um, <laughs> the, um, like when we when I originally when I first started playing nobody would beat Aspire or Thunder yeah. you just didn't, yeah. there wasn't any scores there might be but nowadays even the top teams are reachable you can yeah. start a game thinking yeah we'll beat them but yeah definitely days, there were teams that you couldn't beat you just weren't going to yeah 
No, I mean, it's a lot more open. I think, you know, the championship as well, you know, having having the sides come through last year, Newcastle and side go straight through. That has, that's never seen that in the sport before. So that, again, mixes up the teams and the divisions and stuff. So we'll have to see, you know, but yeah, um, you know, you know, certainly have to agree with the, with the speed of the game. Um, and, and obviously the chairs have been a big factor. We're able to do a lot more now than we could previously. Um yeah. Okay. Anything to add on that, Siobhan? Otherwise, it's a final challenge. Um, no, I think. <laughs> well, you're awake. Hello. I was. <laughs> I was having a technical issue, just because this week we've had to. We've had so many technical issues with Kath and Kaz, and they've jumped <laughs> through hoops for us, literally with different types of technology. So. This week we're on Zoom, so if it sounds a bit different, that's why. But obviously I'm not as quick with Zoom, so I'm muting and unmuting myself and then missing the button. <laughs> the final challenge. Okay, so ladies, we briefly explained before, final challenge. Basically, you get 40 seconds. Name as many English power chair clubs as you possibly can. Um, the main rule is don't repeat an answer, so you can... Carolyn, you could start in 9-5. And Kath, you could take over 9-5. You can alternate it. It's entirely up to you. Just don't repeat an answer. And be careful with, like, West Brom and West Brom Fossils and Nottingham and Forest because they're one club just affiliating different teams. It's like, you know, Middlesbrough's the club and then you affiliate reserves and discovery. Okay? Start North, Kath, yeah? Okay. Okay. Okay, they've got a tactic. They've got a method. I'm going to try and keep score with my fingers. Okay. Are we ready? <laughs> We're ready. Okay. Ready, steady, go. Northern Thunder, Newcastle United Foundation, Darlington, Middlesbrough, Teesside, Jorvik Warriors, Leeds, Hull, Norwich, Greenwich, Seven Oaks. Go. Brighton, Portsmouth. What's the new name, Kath? Solent. Bournemouth, yeah. Cheltenham, Ocean City, um, Villa, four, Manion, three, Man two, City, one. North Times up. You got 21. <laughs> I don't know, that was excellent. You did well, 21. Okay, we well, believe we've reached the final question. Um, and it's one we ask all our guests, and I'm particularly interested because you're a referee, Kaz. And obviously, Kath, you know, you'll, you'll definitely have um, something to say about this. But if you could change one law of the game in power chair football, then what would it be and why? Um, I think the two-on-one rule um, needs to be not as far between the two players. Because um, there's often, the, for instance, I'll use Ed Common, he'll pass to Sam, who might only be two and a half metres away. But does it actually yeah. matter that? only two and a half metres away because the pass was on anyway and yeah. the option wasn't going to interfere with that. So we do look more objectively at the two-on-one rule now and we will allow, um, if somebody's moving away, we'll realise that they're not involved in the game. But I do think that, um, particularly in attack, um, I, I just think it, it's a little bit close. I was thinking, What I would like to change is, this has sort of come from another game. So it's come from hockey, actually. I was talking to Millie about it because oh, she yeah. plays hockey. And I was thinking about, I'd quite like to remove the one touch from a throw-in. So in hockey, they have now as a self-pass. 
that would encourage dribbling. So I don't want a self pass, but I'm thinking maybe you could have two touches. So that would increase what you were able to do from a from a what we call a throw in the kicking. And I could see that, right? You know, would enable you to be a bit more creative. Because we haven't got a three dimensional pitch, we can't throw it over. So you can get a bit crowded around the. You know, the defenders can get quite in your face when you're even though they've got to be five meters away. So I think that yeah. if you were able to have a double touch, you, you could do more with it because we ha- because we haven't got that three dimensional part. So I'm thinking. Okay. Interesting. Excellent. Now, um, I have heard about the 2v1. There has been other people say that, especially players, you know, to allow a bit more leniency when attacking. Because if you're passing in a tighter space, it's actually more skillful. And it's actually, if you've got less space to pass in, it's actually harder. So, yeah. yeah. So I can see that. And it, or someone suggested that the defender only, you know, once he touches the ball, it only, it's only it's two on one at that point or something. I don't, I don't know. There's variations on a, on a theme, I suppose. There's the final whistle. Thank you so much. And hopefully when all this calms down, um, we can embark on the Set Ball, the Parachair podcast tour. (laughs) We'll come up to Middlesbrough and watch the game and Dave can drive. Cool. Thank you anyway. We've been stars. Set Ball is an Outer Circle production.